Minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, rootworker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com. M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A dot com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. And she is a um, tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her again at tarotbyginger.com. And our guest for today is Claudia. And I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name. Travellis. Favelis. And she has a book, The Astrology Guide, Understanding Your Signs, Your Gifts, and Yourself. Thanks for coming on today. <laughs> Thanks. I'll hold my book up just so everyone yep. can see. And I, I have it here, too. And, it, and, and, and this is not light reading. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it's really comprehensive. It's almost... It kind of reminds me a little bit of, I think it was a book called The, the Astrology Encyclopedia at one time. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, well, it's, it is a reference book, you know, and it's designed for those who, you know, specifically, um, well, anyone who wants to learn astrology, basically. So what got you into astrology? I got into astrology when I was uh, about 13. And I used to ride my bike to Woolworths, if you're familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they used to have these astrology magazines. Mm-hmm. They had various magazines, and I was drawn to these astrology magazines. And I would uh, use my babysitting money to, which at that point was, you know, either 50 cents or a dollar an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to um, buy these books, you know, these magazines, mm-hmm. and I, I would read them, and it, it went on from there. Wow. So yeah. um, when did you start doing charts? I started doing charts, um, well, I went to school in Boston. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there were some very, um, you know, astrology wasn't well known in the early 70s. Um, but Boston was a hub for astrology at one level, and a very well-known teacher, Isabel Hickey, was there and gave classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, um, there was a group of us who studied astrology with her. And when you learn something, especially astrology, which is a language unto itself, right. you know, when you learn astrology with a group, you know, it, it it's fun. Mm-hmm. It it sinks in, right. and I started doing uh, readings. You know, shortly thereafter. Oh wow! So so, what brought you to you know after? Uh, so if you started like that long ago, to the point right. when you got your book out, there's a big gap in between. 
There is. <laughs> so what <laughs> happened in, during that period of time to make you want to write the book? <laughs> well, I did readings consistently the whole, you know, the whole time, but I also had a uh, an IT career in uh, New York City mm-hmm. for about 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So, and I would do readings on the side. So I didn't, and I also raised, raised uh, two children. So I didn't have a whole lot of time to write a book. You know, in addition to all that. So finally, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, I was able to do that. Hmm. So how is your book different than other astrology books? Well, it's different in a couple ways. One is, and when I learned astrology, there was always a sense, well, you know, this aspect is good. This aspect's not so good. Mm-hmm. Some planets are, you know, you don't want to have that in this sign. And you don't want to have this aspect. And I felt that that was limiting because as the world is changing and we're moving into more of a quantum space, right. the concept, the linear concept of good and bad, I felt needed to expand. Right. So I wrote the book um, with the perspective of the gift of some of any combination or placement as well as the shadow side which is a a theory influenced by child uh, carl young mm-hmm. so basically my book is meant to be it's meant to be um contemplated you know the art of contemplation mm-hmm. is important in terms of developing self-awareness mm-hmm. so I want people to understand that nothing is bad. You know, we have free will. You know, back then, you know, some people thought we had free will, some people didn't. You know, the concept of free will has shifted. You know, Mm -hmm. where maybe some things were written in sand. You know, some things are actually written in stone. You know, I think now we feel more empowered to grow and make changes, even in terms of our own DNA. You know, the studies on how we can change, you know, how we can change our DNA. Yeah, yeah. I've watched some shows on, uh, I think it's called Epi- epigenetics or something like that. Yeah. yeah you know, which is interesting. And all the various modalities for healing, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of sound healing, color healing, aromatherapy healing. Yeah, it's all, you, you, and you're right. Like, 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 you know, I, growing up as a kid, all the way up until, I don't know, maybe the year 2000 or so, everything was very linear. Good, bad, you know, you didn't uh-huh. want this, you wanted that. And now we are breaking out of that, it seems like. And we're looking at things in more in a way of like, what possibilities does this situation offer? Yes, exactly. Rather than, I don't want mm-hmm. to do this, or I don't want to go there, I don't want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I wrote my book with the theme of self-empowerment, mm-hmm. because also, um, you know, everyone is everyone brings their unique gifts to the world. Mm-hmm. And what's important is that they each person understands what their unique gifts are. Because then that self-awareness or that truth of who they are helps them in a world where there's so much um, 
judgment and social influence. You know, there's all this, you know, oh, this is, you know, people should be this or people should be that, which again is limiting. Right. Would you consider astrology more of a, either a, you know, I mean, I think in the past too, it's been looked at as like a, maybe like a tool for divination. Right. And, but I also think like there's another side of it too where people use it as a tool for um, personal growth or self-analysis. Absolutely. I, it's both. And I think the basis of it is self, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, growth as an evolutionary tool. And, true, and through that, or at least having some sense of that, some self-awareness, gives one the resilience to move through challenging situations and also advantageous situations, which then are part of what astrology can predict. You know, what is, what's the timing? What's coming up? How are the planets in the heavens affecting your chart? And what is your predisposition to respond to a certain influence? What's the gift of your predisposition? But what's the shadow side of that as well? Mm-hmm. So you're aware of that so that you can meet it. You know, you can meet whatever is coming toward you right. from a place of being self-aware. Right. And I think sometimes, too, like the same thing with tarot cards or any of these things, you know, if I come to them with a, a, a particular situation or question, it will give uh-huh. me a perspective that's different than what I would originally come up with sometimes on my own without using that tool. Yes. I mean, frankly, I don't know how people can manage these days without any tools. <laughs> they <laughs> do. need a lot of tools. <laughs> but, but, but these tools are great for giving me, the, they almost like force me to look at things from another perspective. Exactly. Which yeah. I wouldn't normally do. Yeah. And if I do that, I can make better decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's the goal to me of astrology. You know, astrology is a tool. You know, and it's an ancient tool. It's been used for, you know, thousands of years. And now the world is more complex. You know, and the world is evolving. You know, the Mm -hmm. planet's evolving. Energies are evolving. We're being hit by one thing or another. I know the last post that I wrote, because I write, um, I write new moon and full moon posts on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And the last post I wrote was for the Sagittarius full moon. And Sagittarius is the sign that has to do with really putting things into a fresh perspective. You know, one aspect Mm -hmm. of it is really, you know, seeing things, putting things in place from a perspective. And the, the opening sentence of what I wrote was, you know, what is your... What is your new normal? You know, there's been so much shifting and so much, so many changes, so many major planetary cycles hmm. that have happened since COVID. Wow. Yeah, you know, since the onset of COVID, that you know, really, are we the same person that we were? I don't know. Yeah. You know, you ask me that question, the first answer that comes up to me is like, yeah, I really don't know what my new yeah. normal is. Not yet. It's still for me too early to tell. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just starting to, you know, get my feet back on the ground after everything that's happened. Yes, exactly. 
Hmm. That's a good question. Are we entering in like, you know, some people will talk about like the age of Aquarius. Now, mm-hmm. are we in the age of Aquarius? Are we entering the age of Aquarius? Or are we going into something completely different? <laughs> uh, well, some people feel that when the Jupiter Saturn conjunction happened at zero degrees of Aquarius mm-hmm. back in, actually, I don't even, you know, I guess that was in 2020. I don't have the date offhand. At the beginning, early 2020. But at that, that um, conjunction marked the beginning of the Aquarian age. And since then, we've had planets, in fact, right now, planet Pluto, which has to do with transformation and change mm-hmm. and being up dirt. Yeah, because obviously there's a lot of dirt being dug up, (laughs) (laughs) both at personal levels, but certainly at the collective level. (laughs) You know, meaning that whatever is not working or whatever was hidden is coming to the surface, Mm -hmm. is coming to the light. And this is the beginning, because Pluto is going to go back and forth over this zero degree point of Aquarius for the next until. Right, right until up almost the end of 2024. So we've got a couple, you know, we've got almost two more years of this energy, like mm-hmm. launch, so to speak, you know, the age of Aquarius. And, and you might say, well, what does that mean? So Pluto had been in Capricorn for over 20 years. And the Capricornian energy is a much different energy than the Aquarian energy, mm-hmm. even though the co-ruler of Aquarius in ancient astrology is also Saturn, which is a ruler of Capricorn. But for one thing, we're moving from a more, you know, top-down kind of uh, environment, both in terms of um, the collective, in terms of rulership, you know, where it's coming from a top-down kind of perspective to a bottom-up. Mm energy. So you could call that more from a more masculine type of energy, the Capricorn energy being more masculine, more patriarchal, more, you know, shoulds, you know, do this, do that, you know, finger wagging, you know, this is the custom, you have to follow it, to the Aquarian energy where it's more, you know, governed by uniqueness of each individual. And there's more respect for the individuality of each person. So we're going from something that's very solid to that watery type of fluid sign. Yeah, although Aquarius is not, I know it's the water bearer as a mm-hmm. symbol, but it's, it's not, really an air, it's an air sign and it's a fixed sign. Huh, so I didn't they're, know they're that. Both, yeah, it's not a willy nilly sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I go. I did an episode once on on just the planet Pluto, because apparently, like, it almost like dictates like ages for us because exactly. the orbit is so it, long. It's like generational, mm-hmm. you know, and it really marks what each generation is about. Wow. Yeah. So I had sent you a couple of random birthdays to see yeah. what they look like. When it told, mm-hmm. <laughs> give me the, what came back on those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one is a, um, so one birthday that you gave me has a sun in Capricorn and uh, some Sagittarius planets. Mm-hmm. 
which again is a mix because you have you know the nature of Capricorn, which is ruled by Saturn, is restrictive, right? It's yeah, it's like okay, what's you know what's the most practical way of doing something? I mean, Capricorn has its um, you know it's it's necessary, and hopefully, what we learned from the period of Pluto and Capricorn was that how to make things sustainable. Capricorn's all about what's sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, the energy of Saturn is taking, it's basically taking a, a piece of coal and compressing it and compressing it and compressing it and compressing it until it becomes a diamond. Mm-hmm. Or taking a grain of sand, you know, in an oyster shell and, you know, the friction of it making it a pearl. So it's, it's a very necessary process. In, you know, for sure. But, um, so we have the Capricorn energy combined with the Sagittarius energy, which is expansive. So Sagittarius wants to learn, it's, it's adventurous. You know, the symbol is the archer, right? Shooting right. its at. So it wants to dream, it wants to, you know, bring its, um, its dreams down to earth. You know, it's very visionary. So it's an interesting combination in that way, you know, one of the charts that you gave me. So one chart has the sun in Capricorn and the moon in Ascendant in in, uh, Sagittarius. So Mm -hmm. the sun is more one's purpose. So if I were going to look at the gift of this combination, it's being able to bring dreams down to earth in a way that they're sustainable. That makes sense. (laughs) You know, and add that practicality. And also, it's very much of a teacher energy, because both Sagittarius and Capricorn are energies connected to uh, a teacher. Mm -hmm. Sagittarius loves to learn, likes to learn all different things. You know, it's a perpetual student, so to speak, at yeah. one level. You know, and the Capricorn energy is, okay, so you learned it, now teach it. You know, and the reason it can teach it is because it takes, um, you know, it's logical. So it takes what it learns and it can break it down into, you know, logical structures, so to speak, or logical portions. So it has the ability to teach someone else because it can say step one is this, step two is, you know, is is this and so forth. Hmm. Sounds, so, sounds uh, interesting, like an interesting person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's uh, Mars and Aquarius. There's quite a bit of energy, actually, in terms of... There's quite a bit of um, the ability to dream and inspire. (laughs) That's also good. Right. (laughs) And what this... uh, yeah, so that that would be the gifts that I would say are there. It's very, uh, it can be very much into connection, 
because there's a uh, Venus-Neptune combination in the sign of Scorpio, which doesn't like, um, like this chart, this person isn't big in, isn't big into uh, small talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting person. I have to get to know this person. <laughs> now, the other chart you gave me is a, a person with four planets in Leo. <laughs> you know, ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> you know, a big, a big energy, a big presence. Mm -hmm. The Capricorn energy will kind of, you know, do more of this. The Leo is like, wow, here I am. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, very warm. The four planets in the, in Leo that include the sun, the moon, Mercury, and Uranus. Wow. So there's a lot of warmth, a lot of creativity. Yeah, and and this person, this person needs to have fun because that's what Leo is about. Leo's a heart energy. Mm -hmm. Leo's all about joy. And we're going to learn about Leo this summer because, in fact, we're learning about it now because uh, Mars has been in Leo for um, not quite a month, and Venus is going. Venus has uh, just moved into Leo a couple of days ago, and Venus is going to spend four months in Leo. In Leo. Hmm. The sun will go into Leo at the end of July, you know, usually somewhere around July 22nd or so, 21st, 22nd. So as a collective, um, the way I've written about it is to say, you know, it's, it's time to find our joy again. You know, we've had some tough years. Yeah, we did. Now the last uh, three years, you know, we've had major planetary cycles of Saturn and Pluto and Saturn and Uranus, you know, a lot of compression, a lot of squeezing, you know, and hopefully we made a pearl out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, but I don't even think we know what, what's happened yet. You know, I think we yeah. just started. That's like when you, when you ask me that question, you know, like, like I, I don't know what, what you know, mm -hmm. I've, has happened or, or, or what I am right now even. Yeah. You know, it's too early for me to tell. Yeah, exactly. So I think little by little, it's, you know, we're seeing, we're looking and saying, oh, yeah, I'm not reacting the same way I used to to that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, and things are kind of um, falling away, too. You know, things that were real important to us before. Mm. You know, we're thinking, well, maybe that's not so important. Maybe this is more important. I think we're redefining our values. That's good. I hope we move away from materialism. Well, I think what part of um, Pluto and Capricorn for the last 20 years, which is, you know, we're still moving in and out of that energy mm -hmm. for the next two years. But I think what that has taught us is um, to really look at things from the perspective of, you know, what's, you know, what's sustainable. That's true. 
And also right now, Jupiter has gone into uh, Taurus. And the planet Uranus has been in Taurus. Mm -hmm. And we're through two, you know, two years of the planet Saturn and Uranus being in a difficult aspect with each other. Which was all about, in my mind, to um, really look at, you know, what's enough. Hmm. And that's how, that's how I think we're shifting. I think we're shifting into, in terms of materialism, really, you know, not having, not being so much of a throwaway society, mm -hmm. but really looking at equality of things that are more lasting, you know, more sustainable. And looking at, you know, what's enough? Like, do you really need 10 of those? Right. What do I need rather than what do I want? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. So how do these two people relate? Um, well, the point of relationship, there's a couple of uh, helpful aspects. Uh, one is that one person has a Jupiter in Scorpio. So we talked about the, uh, the Saturn person has, um, Venus and Neptune in Scorpio. So they want, they want a, they want a more quality kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. They want a more tight kind of relationship. And, uh, not, not superficial. Right. Not a lot of that. So the Leo person has Jupiter in Scorpio, so they can kind of, uh, they can relate to that. Plus it gives a combination, which is very nice, which is Jupiter on Venus. So Jupiter on Venus can have fun. Mm -hmm. but, but Scorpio, I don't know, you know, Scorpio's idea of fun isn't exactly rah-rah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 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 but that is a point of contact that's helpful. In addition, there's some Virgo energy that's helpful. So the Leo person has three, you know, I'm looking at the charts if you see me looking over mm -hmm. to the side. The Leo person has um, three planets in Virgo, which is kind of no nonsense. You know, when they're working, you know, in spite of the Leo that wants to have a look, you know, needs playtime. Mm-hmm. You know, much more than the Capricorn does. You know, and much more than a Capricorn with Sagittarius, who's happy, you know, just sort of reading books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and watching movies, you mm -hmm. know, and so, the, so the Leo wants to go out, you know, or they want to do this or do that, mm -hmm. but. But the fact that they have um, Venus, Mars, and Pluto and Virgo, you know, when they set, when they when they're working, they're working. Right. <laughs> so it's like all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy. Well, this is somebody who <laughs> who can be a little bit of a uh, workaholic for sure. Definitely has workaholic tendencies. Mm -hmm. Somebody who works hard and plays hard. Right. That way. 
<laughs> so the uh, so the Capricorn's going to have to give space to that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah. So so that so that's the bottom line. But but the Capricorn has some Virgo as well. Mm-hmm. You know, not as much, but they have Jupiter and Virgo, so that helps. So you know, so the so the uh, so the Capricorn can get a little obsessive about work at times too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Even though this person is just a random person. Yes. <laughs> Somebody you know, I presume. Or. Yeah, I think the, I know. Yeah. Or that a chart that you're aware of, the mm. dynamic, at least. So the um, so the Capricorn. Capricorn's a bit erratic. Because they have a, a moon square Uranus Pluto combination, mm-hmm. so they're uh, they can be calm, 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 and then uh, freak out, sort of, so yeah. to speak. I'm being dramatic as I'm <laughs> as I'm describing it, but you know, just to get the point across. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what's important there? is to uh, have self-awareness, you know, and when that's coming up, you know, just to be able to say, you know, I need a little, I need, I need a little space. Hmm. But in the way it sounds like both these people kind of need a little bit of space. Yeah. I would say the, um, I mean, initially, I would say that the Leo needed more space, but I don't. You didn't. You didn't have a birth time for the Leo, so that's a little. No. You know, that could shift things. You know, to get that granular, right? You mm-hmm. kind of birth time, but the the Capricorn definitely needs at least a feeling of freedom. Hmm. The Capricorn doesn't really like to give freedom because the Venus in Neptune and Scorpio mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily want to give, you know, because they want, you know, they want a, a tight relationship, but they need freedom. Yeah, I think this Capricorn likes structure. Uh, probably. Well, that would probably help. So if there's some structure, like, okay, so, you know, Two times a week, blah blah, you know. Or hmm. so, could these two people cohabitate? Um, well, obviously, I guess like any two. Like we were talking before, like oh, yeah, any two people could co- 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 cohabitate. But the real question, I guess, is, um, you know, what areas do they complement each other, and what areas will they challenge each other to grow? Well, I think the freedom is one, one way, mm-hmm. and the and the um, being a, just having fun, you know, not being serious, mm. is the other way. You know, that's what's important to the Leo. Like the Leo is going to need some down, you know, downtime in that way. Pets may be helpful. 
Hmm. Yeah, for a Leah. Maybe for both, I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reason I say both is because that'll fulfill some of the Venus, Neptune, and Scorpio for the Capricorn. Yeah, I think there's quite a few parts of this situation. Okay, Because yeah. <laughs> Venus Neptune, you know, wants somebody there, you know, wants somebody there, wants a companion. Yeah. So a pet can fulfill that. So it doesn't have to be a person, because it can be a lot of pressure for a person. Mm-hmm. Well, a pet can be a lot of pressure, too. Yeah. They're needy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think either of these people would mind that so much. No, no, I don't think they would either. Yeah, yeah, the Capricorn would feel like they're, uh, you know, I should do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the Leo. You know, the Virgo and the Leo, you know, likes that kind of, to be of service, so to speak. Hmm. <laughs> it's amazing how accurate this is. You know, and what I always liked about astrology, too, though, too, is, you know, when you're giving this, you know, information, it makes me think, again, about things I don't normally think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think astrology is very helpful. I mean, really, I mean, therapy is helpful too. Mm. But it's, I think the combination of the two can be super helpful because astrology can pinpoint things. It is that kind of like what astrology is too, is, is therapy when you're giving people their chart and explaining it to them and then they're asking mm-hmm. you questions and you start that going back and forth type of dialogue that you're helping reflect some things of that person back to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And again, this goes back to the self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, astrology is about you know, self-awareness. I mean, I call it uh, discover your imprint because astrology is a blueprint or an imprint. So if you know your imprint and you know that, ab- that about yourself, there's a truth in that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a truth in who you are. One of the things I think that is, that is changing too, you know, we touched on a little bit too, is like, you know, there used to be like that saying, like, you know, it's written in stars, you know, which meant like it was fate. Like astrology was like a fate, you know, you know, there's no changing it. And now, you know, we're starting to look at things like um, our reality is simply just whatever we put our focus on. Mm-hmm. So, so we've gone through this view of having you know it's fate to i can just change whatever i want by focusing on something else well it goes back to you know is it that that age thing right is it a free will universe Mm -hmm. or something fated you know what's the uh, blend of fated versus free will Mm -hmm. right which philosophers have touched on for centuries really Right. But but I think, like, in a way, though, the quantum probability stuff kind of answers that to both of them, right? It says yeah. you have an infinite number of probabilities. Mm-hmm. So they're already existed. 
you know. So, mm-hmm. so, so far as that goes, it is already written, written, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's up to us to what we want to read, <laughs> which, which, yeah, one. that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, so yeah. in a way, definitely. both are true. It's definitely opened up, you know. It's not like a, you know, a, it's not pigeonholed. Right. You know, this has to be this way and this has to be that way and you can't change it. Hmm. So do you use astrology for anything else other than like this? Like, I don't, other uses for it have, are used like, it's like ceremonial magic to calculate, you know, like different days for different rituals. The same thing like in, in some of the pagan religions. Yeah. Well, you can, I mean, I use it for timing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll use, I'll use it. You know, when I'm going to, you know, within limits, because certain things, sometimes you have time frames, so you can't, you know, and sometimes you don't. Some things are looser with time frames, but a lot of my work will be like, okay, when should I, when should this person have, uh, you know, a health procedure? What's the optimal timing for that? Or, you know, when's a good timing for looking? Uh, naturally, you know, in a reading, if somebody's looking to buy a house, you know, you can pinpoint what's optimal timing for that. Mm. But there's a whole system of astrology that just has to do with timing. You know, when's the best time to plant a garden? When's the best time to, you know, go on a so vacation? So a person could literally plan their entire lives on when they're going to do something based upon astrology. Right. Do you do that? Um, I do it to a degree, yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel that as time has gone on, you know, I, I have more of a feeling, well, oh, well, I can handle this anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so the yeah. timing. So, so where does, why, then how is the timing impo- important? I think it's, um, it gives you options. You think it just makes things easier, maybe? Like, like the energy is just moving that particular. Like, it's like going with the wind, sort of. Like yeah. You're just kind of going to go with it because it's blowing in that particular direction. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's not necessarily. You're moving with the flow. Right. But it's not necessarily it like you can't go there. Right. If it's not going that way, you can, but it's easier. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Like sometimes you don't have a choice about, you know. Like one, you have less choice. You know, you have to do, yeah, you know, or you have to go to work. You know, <laughs> do I? Well, <laughs> well, that's something to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> or, or what is really work? <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly a tool that can be used for optimal timing. Hmm. And there's certain, you know, most people have heard, even if they don't know a lot about astrology, a lot of people have heard about periods when Mercury is retrograde, you know, the dreaded Mercury it, retrograde. It torments me. I almost have to lock my house when it happens. Really? Let me look. Um, it doesn't like me. <laughs> and, and not so much of the technology stuff that people talk about. With me, it's more like weird things start to fall apart. Or, or like things that maybe like don't belong in my life start to go away. Hmm. That's interesting. 
So have you made notes of what kind of happened? It's just gets tumultuous. You know, sometimes like there's unexpected conflicts, <clears throat> things like that, that mm -hmm. happen that, you know, will change my life a little bit. Mm. Well, you know, the purpose of Mercury, Mercury is stronger. Any planet's stronger when it's retrograde. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's in the process of shifting directions, when it's going from direct to retrograde and retrograde back to direct because it's right. stationary. So it, the whole idea of it, it's meant, you know, a Mercury retrograde period is meant to be more reflective. So it's meant to look at things more deeply. Hmm. So that could be what's happening, you know, that you're, you know, you're, you're looking at things and maybe you're deciding, well, that doesn't fulfill, you know, a certain, um, qualification right or I th um, or could it be you know like, like I do the podcast like most of what I do has to deal with communication and Mercury's in charge of communication so when it starts going backwards all my junk gets messed up yeah well people may not feel as communicative for one thing mm-hmm so how, that, how did that all happen? Like, is it from mythology? Like, how did like all these planets get these attributes and signs and stuff? Um, a lot of them are governed by mythology and the patterns. They're cycles, so it's observing what happened the last time that planet was in that place. Mm -hmm. Like some of these newer planets, you know, because like since um, you know, in the last twenty years. 15, 20 years, there's been more dwarf planets that have been discovered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the theory behind that is as we evolve into different um, stages of consciousness, you know, these dwarf planets are discovered because they're bringing forth a new aspect of this expanded, uh, you know, consciousness. Hmm. That makes sense too. Yeah, and um, but but we're not able to, you know, we're, a lot of astrologers that use the dwarf planets, myself included, you know, we have certain ideas about what that energy means. Some of it has to do with when it was discovered, but there hasn't there haven't been enough cycles, you know, for us to really know. That's true. We would yeah. have to exist as a species for a really long time to find out. And in fact, one of the dwarf planets, Sedna, that was discovered, again, about 15, 20 years ago, has um, a really, really long orb. Like Pluto takes about 260 years to go around the zodiac. Sedna takes like 11,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> or 1100 years I don't know yeah <laughs> anyway the point of this is that Sedna is about to change signs soon it's going to move into Gemini hmm. but we so, don't know what that looks like because we don't has documented right. it yet so this mm -hmm. is our first time documenting it so then the next time it happens does he know yeah interesting is there 
different. I mean, obviously there's a difference, but you know, there's different types of astrology. There's like the Western astrology that you and I are talking about. There's Vedic astrology. There's Chinese astrology. There's mm-hmm. whatever the Aztecs and Mayans and those ancient cultures were using. Mm-hmm. Are, are the are all forms of astrology correct, or are some more accurate than others? And why well, is there different ones? <laughs> Well, the difference between Vedic astrology and Western astrology is that at one point they were the same, but what's happened is there's been a precession of the equinoxes. So in other words, you know, because Earth is the um, revolution, Earth revolves around the sun as in in an elliptical um, shape. It's not like a spherical shape. Mm -hmm. But... um, also, it's a shifting, so there's a difference of about 23 degrees between these two systems. So Vedic astrology is consistent with uh, the uh, constellations. For example, you know, when the sun is in Aries, you know, from the end of March through the end of April, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really in the constellation of Aries that whole time. It doesn't really go into the constellation of Aries until, you know, somewhere around like the 17th or 8th, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th of April. Mm-hmm. It's in the constellation of Pisces. So Vedic astrologers make that correction mm-hmm. of 23 degrees. Western astrology is consistent with the equinoxes and the solstices. So that has to do with the position of the sun in relationship to the equator in the Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn. Hmm. So if you follow Vedic astrology, spring doesn't really start until like 23 degrees late, 23 days later, because usually it's, it's about a degree for a day. Yeah, so it so spring maybe, went we even, start in April. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so both systems work because they're a system. Right. How about Chinese? Well, that does it more by the year. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more in terms of the animal that rules the year. It breaks things down into elements. Yeah, like so metal. So it's more collective. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it can get granular, too. You know, in terms of the element and the, uh, you know, the animal that governs that particular time frame. And Mayan astrology, you know, has a different, you know, it's based on 200, you know, has a division of 13 and 20. So it's like 260 day cycles. Hmm. Do you think anything happened when that? Uh, Mayan calendar ended. What year was that? 2000... 2012, remember? Like, oh. That that happened. Did, do you think that, that when you... Um, did, change, did any change happen at that time with us? Well, I think we're, I think we're going through continual um, evolutionary yeah. jumps as a species. Hmm. And you know, 12-12, December 12, 2012, you know, was looked at as one of those uh, 
evolutionary openings, portals, kinds. So, so what's what's next? Do 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 you think as we after two thousand and twenty four, for example, once we're uh -huh. off of, I guess, what is it, like a cusp that we're on, sort of. Well, right now we're, you know, the Pluto, because if you look at the slower moving planets that are more generational, you know, Pluto being one, Neptune being another, Uranus being another. And then we have these dwarf planets, you know, which bring in a whole new energy, you know, like this concept of Sedna moving into Gemini, you know, what's that going to be? But um, you know, there's a lot of shifting, you know, this year where planets have touched into some of these slower moving planets have touched into different energies. So the Pluto moving from Capricorn to Aquarius, you know, which it does very slowly because it goes back and forth. So it's, it's about to move back into Capricorn, mm -hmm. you know, until next January, then it'll come back into Aquarius for a few months and then it'll go back to Capricorn and then finally be in Aquarius permanently. So, How long will it stay in Aquarius for? About 20 years. All right, so that's the last lap of my life. Yeah, so that's a real generational shift. And I think that's going to be significant. In addition to that is Neptune. Neptune is going to move from Pisces, where it is now, into Aries. What does that and mean? So it's, well, Neptune rules Pisces, so it's, um, it's, a lot about, um, it has to do with compassion. It has to do with spirituality. You know, bringing forth more spirituality. The planet Saturn just moved into, uh, Pisces this year. So that's another major shift. So Saturn's going to be in, you know, Saturn has a 28 year cycle. So every, uh, you know, two and a quarter, so to speak, two and a half years, Saturn changes signs. So that just moving into Pisces will bring out the best and the worst of a sign. So the best of the sign is really uh, pointing out how important it is to care about other people. You know, the combination of that plus the Pluto and Aquarius is... Um, are both very people oriented in that sense. You know, what's good for the great, what's, what's for the greatest good? Mm -hmm. All people. So I think that's a big shift that we can anticipate because the, the um, Pluto and Capricorn has been more about materialism, you know, and more about uh, authoritarianism. So, I think the main shift is going to be more um, a more people-oriented approach to daily life. I can deal with that. <laughs> and, and hopefully the Saturn and Pisces will, you know, give people incentive to clean up the oceans, etc. Hmm. But it can also give, you know... You know, Saturn can also, um, you know, provide, uh, you know, the, da the, the shadow side of Saturn and Pisces, shall we say, is, mm -hmm. you know, it can be floods. You know, it can be water issues, water problems. Oh, I don't want that. I live on the water. 
You what? I live on the water. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I might have to so, sell. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of talk about water. You know, you can anticipate that for the next two years. You know, the rising tide, the rising oceans. Yeah. yeah. Drought, droughts in some areas of the uh, of the planet. Hmm. I guess that's why I'm experiencing the smoke cloud. We're both experiencing a smoke cloud from Canada. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, this will be out probably in a few weeks, so this smoke cloud will be gone by the time this is out. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the smoke cloud is a wake up call, I think, you know, to a lot of people. You think so? Yeah, and it, well, in a sense, you know, just to experience it. Because it's kind of abstract to talk about these wildfires, you know, and if you're on the East Coast, right, and you hear about wildfires, wildfires in California, which are caused by a lack of rain to some degree, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it brings the water concept. You know, we can say, oh, that's too bad and have compassion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when you start, you know, seeing, um, you know, that smoke in the air and breathing the smoke in the air, it takes on a different level. Right. It did make important. people look at the sky because <laughs> the sun has been orange. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think little by little, you know, Uranus has been in Taurus and will continue in Taurus for another couple of years. And so, you know, Taurus is about the Earth. So it's bringing, and Jupiter's in Taurus now. So it's it's putting a focus on the Earth, the Earth, the waterways, droughts, rising ocean tables. And one of the, you know, there's a couple of dwarf planets that are connected more to um, some of these climate issues, mm. like Maki Maki and Haumea. I don't know what you those know. are. Yeah, I know, they're cool names, though, right? <laughs> yeah, they are cool names. I have no idea what they are, though. <laughs> <laughs> but they have to do with a reverence for the earth. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you a weird question. Like, like, like most of the planets and, and, and signs and everything, like we talked earlier, like the names come from mythology or characters and Roman mythology and Greek mythology and stuff like that, or from the constellations and then the mythologies developed around the constellations or, or however it worked. But one of the weird questions is that how did Earth get the name Earth? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a funny one too because I've I've googled it and like the answer's like nobody really knows. <laughs> well, another name that's often used is Gaia. Yeah, yeah, that's the more of like the spiritual name for the planet. Mm hmm. But but it's weird like the name Earth. Nobody really seems to know where it came from. Hmm. Well, then if you start getting into uh, galactic astrology, 
Hmm. Which starts to look at some of the points like the galactic center, uh -huh. which is at a position of about 28 degrees of Sagittarius, 27, 28 degrees of Sagittarius, which, ha you know, is connected to the center of the uh, center of the galaxy. The Sounds like where like the black hole is. <laughs> um, it's some swirling, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's some kind of vortex. Yeah. And, you know, galactic astrology will start looking at these, you know, star systems with the premise that we all came from, you know, different star systems. You know, we've all been alive. Many have had many lifetimes in various star systems and agreed to come to Earth at this time because it's a crucial time on the planet. So does that give a sort of an explanation to like star seeds, like Pleiadian star seeds, Arcturian star seeds, yeah. and things like that? Yeah. Wow. Do you think that people actually are star seeds? Um. Well, I think it's interesting to think of that. Hmm. So I've interviewed quite a few people that you know, you know, say that they are, and at first. I'll admit, I was, I was skeptical about it. But then, mm -hmm. after doing this podcast for like three years now, I'm like, anything's possible. Anything is possible because who am I to say what energy is taking form where? So, so tell me a little about how your thinking has evolved on this. So I used to just think, like, oh, this person's imagining this, it's grandiose thinking, you know, to try to sell some type of idea or something like that. And now mm -hmm. I think like, wow, you know, maybe, you know, there's just infinite energy, which I, which I now believe that there's infinite energy moving through the universe and that somehow it becomes conscious and here we are, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so possibly, yeah, maybe that energy that's making up this person's being and becoming aware is from another planetary system and somehow this person is able to recall it. Hmm. So do you, do you feel connected to a particular planetary system? Me? No. Mm -mm. I feel connected to Earth. Mm -hmm. I feel very connected to Earth, actually. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if my reincarnations, if reincarnation is real, have all been on this planet. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, listening to metaphysical thought, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's hundreds of lifetimes. Well, if one believes in reincarnation. And so the star seed principle, you know, could have preceded hundreds of lifetimes here on Earth. Right, all all Earth souls could possibly have originated from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I was reading that just uh, recently. Actually. Really, where did yeah. you read that at? Well, sometimes I, some of the YouTube videos I watch hmm. on galactic astrology, and also I noticed I was looking through some of the uh, podcasts that you've done. So you've <laughs> done uh, <laughs> you've interviewed uh, T. Thomas Moore. Yeah, yeah, I've had him a few times. I like him. Yeah, I get his uh, emails, and I watch him on YouTube periodically 
when he's interviewed by some of uh, you know various people that I watch. So he, you know, he's that's sort of one of one of his ways of thinking. Yeah, yeah. He talks a lot about Lemuria and you know has channeled from extraterrestrials and things like that. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I say, like before, I was skeptical. Now, I would say probably the first time I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to make of it. Now, mm-hmm. I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I like his um, his concept of asking for the most beneficial outcome mm-hmm. to a situation. That's also sort of like a, a Reiki thing too. Like when you're doing Reiki for for the highest and was the highest and greatest good. Mm-hmm. So one question I think is, you know, is astrology moving from an Earth-based astrology orientation to a more galactic astrological orientation? Mm -hmm. I personally think that it is because I think as a species, you know, the world has opened up. You know, just like, you know, 50, even 50 years ago, or but certainly 100, 200 years ago, right, we were in pods, you know, little local pods. Mm-hmm. So what has happened is, you know, now we're certainly national, you know, national, international, right? The earth is one big place. You know, we can pretty much, um, you know, uh, agree that what affects people on one place on the planet affects people on somewhere else on the planet. Yeah, whether it's in terms of goods that are shipped from there or, you know, whatever, there's a connection. You know, we can acknowledge there's a connection. So I think the next level is to open up to a more galactic orientation, a more universal orientation. I suppose that sort of already happened, too, with astrology, right? I mean, at one point, like, astrology was just seven planets. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we discovered, like, was ten planets. So yeah, they've expanded right. out. And now it's, and it keeps continuing to, to expand outwards as our, mm-hmm. our place in our consciousness and our days of our place in the universe expand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you think next is galactic. What would be, you, you, what's a like universal astrology going to look like? Or cosmos astrology or multiverse astrology? Well, I think it's looking at some of these points, like the galactic center. Mm-hmm. And using that as a point, or also like we're the, looking at some of the fixed stars, like Sirius, you know, which is at 13 degrees of Cancer, or Pleiades, which is at 28, you know, Taurus. Regulus at, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Leo. So I think giving more weight to some of these um, fixed star connections in a chart. Like some of them are obvious. Yeah, the obvious ones I pay attention to if I'm looking at a chart. You know, in fact, this Capricorn chart that I looked at, the moon in Sagittarius is right on the galactic center. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I heard that guy's pretty far out there. So it's like, okay, what is it? so it's like, okay, what does that mean, right? 
Well, what does it mean? You know, if that person, right, with a moon on the galactic center would have a, a sense of what that means, too. I mean, they'd be feeling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or I think that person it, is feeling it. <laughs> if you look at it more analytically, you know, what does the moon represent in a chart? So mm -hmm. a moon represents the emotions, but it also represents, like, habit patterns. So it's like, what... You know, what are the habits? Because what, what are emotions? They're habits in a way. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what what are some of these, um, what are some patterns that are subconscious? You know, if you, if you interpret the moon as the subconscious and the sun as the more conscious of what we're striving to do, like our purpose, so to speak. The mm -hmm. so sun is more our conscious purpose. Moon is more a subconscious, which would incorporate <coughs> habits and feelings, you know, things that just happen. Mm -hmm. So a moon conjunct the galactic center would give a, a natural understanding for something more. Hmm. Right? Because it's in a, Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter, which is very expansive. Yeah, I think this person is probably into expanding their consciousness. Mm -hmm. And expanding knowledge, too. Yeah. Knowledge of, of more universal phenomena. Hmm. Is there anything in the future that we should look out for? <laughs> um... Not not acknowledging people for their individuality. Hmm. That's something I think that's already an issue. Mm hmm Yeah, it's coming. It's up, right? Right. It's up. Is an issue because Pluto and Aquarius is going to uh, reinforce that. Yeah, you know, that each person is unique and each person has their place in the world and has their unique gifts. So that means we only have to deal with this, this BS for two more years and people will <laughs> leave people alone and let them be themselves? And also the movement from Pluto and Capricorn. Pluto and Capricorn is a very authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, Pluto and Aquarius is more use the word democratic, so to speak. You know, it's more bottom-up of the people. Um, and I think that, I think there's a shift there that's going to happen uh, naturally. So, sounds pretty good. Sounds like <laughs> the last 20 years of my life could be fun. <laughs> that's possible, right? <laughs> just gotta get through these next two right? or next one really I think I think it's gonna take I think by 2026 okay so that's two three years we're gonna, be, we're gonna be in a different place yeah society will be in a much different place and I think people will have different values I think I think some of that will happen at the end of a year because Jupiter and Taurus will be Jupiter's cycle is a year. Um, but, and especially with Uranus, 
So the people's values, I think, are in the process of changing. The only thing that scares me about this is like when the things that that usually the catalyst for something like drastic change is mm-hmm. something um, catastrophic happening. Usually that brings people back together. So I hope there's no catastrophe that happens to cause this to, you know, manifest. Well, hopefully people can make some of these shifts willingly so there doesn't need to be catastrophe. Do you believe that something like that can be avoided? I think, yeah, I think it can be avoided. But I also think that, you know, what people grow through... um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know, it sounds negative, but people grow, people grow through hard times sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, resistance gives us strength. Yeah. I have, I have another guest about, his whole thing is like Ohm's Law, and that's what mm-hmm. he talks about. You can't really disagree with it, you know, like you, you overcome adversity, you come out stronger each time. Like there's two sayings that I think are, relevant right mm-hmm. necessity the mother of invention and what doesn't kill you makes you stronger <laughs> <laughs> Nietzsche <laughs> so um, this was a fun interview thank you for coming on but before we wrap it up where's the best place for my listeners to find your book and um, and, you know, the other stuff that you have on, online. Well, my book, again, it's called The Astrology Guide, Understanding Your Planets, Your um, your Gifts, and Yourself. And that's available on Amazon, as well as on Barnes & Noble website. And I post on Facebook under my name, Claudia Trevellis, and also under discoveryourimprint.com. I have a Facebook page called Discover Your Imprint. And my website is discoveryourimprint.com. And I post on Instagram as Astrology by Goddess Isis. Hmm. So, I'm Egyptian on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had to change some names when Isis, you know, became a negative energy. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had a corporation called Isis Unlimited at one point. I didn't know it became a negative energy. I always thought it was as a feminine goddess energy. Well, yeah, that's what it was meant to be, right? But when they were, um, you know, when Isis was a terrorist organization oh yeah that's right right i forgot that was their name Mm -hmm. Hmm. damn terrorists mess everything up (laughs) Hmm. well i'll put the links to your book and to your website and anything else you want me to put in the links into those to this episode (laughs) okay (laughs) so should i email you well, you have, I'll email you. Yeah, email them to me. That'd be good. All okay. Right. Well, thank you for being on. And it was a pleasure yeah. having you. Hope you come back again. 
Sure, I'd love to. And uh, hang on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.